Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Bove in Ontario, Canada. And it looks like the first day of spring, we hit 20 degrees Celsius today. So we're enjoying the warmer weather. So we have episode number 164 of The Yacking Show. This is a show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we are living in. And it really is changing as we speak. We have a, a younger guest today, and I'm sure he's going to tell us a few things about new perspectives in the changing world. So it's not my job to introduce guests. Kathleen does it a lot better than I do. But first, a quick plug for Kathleen. Uh, she wears another hat, and that is um, <clears throat> a hat with a company to find talent for you. If you are struggling to find talent in the IT sector, projects, new people, anything like that, get hold of Kathleen. Her contact details are in the descriptions on video and audio. Enough from me. Welcome, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And we definitely are enjoying the sunshine today, folks. Oh, it feels so good, especially when you live in Canada with the cold that it is uh, these days. Anyways, thank you so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, we'd welcome you to uh, reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is Mackenzie Miller, Mackenzie or Mac. Um, welcome to the show. How are you today? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm doing well. I've had a long day, but I'm very excited and thankful to be on here and chatting with you. Oh, wonderful. Now you've recently uh, finished your master's degree in labor studies. Yeah, right, but yeah. today you're going to be speaking to us about migrant workers. So for our audience, can you give us a little bit about your background and what exactly you're doing today? Sure. So just uh, I'll give you the spark notes of my background, um, which is I studied my undergrad in law at uh, Laurier and I studied law and I did actually a double degree in law and also in human rights. And that was that was fascinating. Um, very interesting subjects to study. I also did an option in leadership, which was also interesting, but I found I was drawn to that, the first two subjects mainly. Um, from there, I went on to grad school at McMaster, um, where I studied labor studies. Um, and for my thesis there, I, I looked at migrant workers. So the title of my thesis is quite long, and I have to read it because I forget it sometimes. Um, it was published in in August. It's Migrant Workers' Precarious Access to Health and Safety Information, Training and Services in the Canadian Seasonal Agricultural Worker Program. So it's called the SWAP, the S-A-W-P, the Seasonal Agricultural Worker Program. Um, that is a bit on my background. Um, I'm also very passionate about diversity and inclusion. Um, I'm currently an education student at the University of Windsor, um, and about diversity and inclusion, I, I'm on the District of Muskoka's, it's called IDEA, which is in Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Anti-Racism, um, so we work with municipal government to try to, you know, influence some of their stuff, and I'm also, for, for the University of Windsor, I'm on the Ed Society, the Educational Society, and I'm in, they call it an EDI rep, which is equity, diversity, and inclusion. So that's a bit on my background. Um, just this past week or so, I had an ebook publication come out, which I co-authored. It's called Classroom Practice in 2022 um, for educators. And my, my um, 
part I wrote for that or my chapter was called Educator's Role in Promoting and Protecting Mental Health. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and also a little plug there for um, Wolford Laurier. That's where I graduated from, too. It's a wonderful hey. school. Wonderful. <laughs> Um, I hear so many qualifications and so much expertise from the two of you that uh, I, I feel somewhat embarrassed to, to even ask either of you questions. <laughs> However, I will plug on. Um, before I ask um, what, why you chose this direction, you just said that you're, you're very interested in it, but I think there's maybe more. Uh, I've got to tell our audience how we first met, because uh, there's quite a story here, and I'm sure everyone will find it amusing. I'd been in this old farmhouse where I live, I don't know, a year or two, and uh, I'm working on my computer at home and I hear a knock on the door and I go down and there's a much younger Mac with his bicycle. And the weather was pretty bad. I think it must have been winter or something. I know it was not nice. And he says, I'm sorry to trouble you, but I've knocked on every door up the road. Mac, Mac's family live about five kilometers east of me on, a, on the gravel road, Township Road. And he says, I've knocked on every door. Nobody's at home and I've got to get to school. And my, the bus didn't come and my lift fell through. And, and, and I said, no problem. Yeah? Let's throw your bike in the back of my truck and we'll take you to school, which I did. And soon after that, I met Mac's parents and we became friends. And uh, we've stayed in close contact ever since. And of course, Mac has been away at university. We haven't seen as much of him as we used to, but... Um, I, I enjoy that story because it was um, a nice welcome to the neighborhood from Mac and his parents. So let's get back onto the subject and away from personal stories, which are always interesting. Mac, after you did the law and the education side, what, what really made you go into this area to labor studies and uh, diversity? So as, as you mentioned, and man, I love that story as well. It, it's just wonderful. <laughs> I don't know how I would have got there without you that day. <laughs> Um, but I grew up, you know, in, in the country, kind of outside of Woodstock area. And uh, basically, like my first job, which I started very young, was working on, on a farm and working on a melon farm. Mm-hmm. And this particular melon farm was wonderful. And it, it, was, it was great. Um, and the migrant workers who worked there treated very fairly. I can't, can't say that enough. Um, but it kind of opened my eyes to like this world of of labor where like you have different sections of our labor economy, right? Um, So I worked with these migrant workers. Um, I worked at the markets for this, Um, but yeah, there was people from Jamaica and Mexico there and I was just kind of curious about it. So in my undergrad, we we touched on migrant workers, but I thought, ah, there's probably more to it. There's more there. So then I wanted to study labor and I wanted to do a thesis on migrant workers and just check out the landscape of like, what's it like to be a migrant worker in Canada? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as you're probably aware, Mac, we have an international audience here, but can you just talk about specifically about the Ontario Migrant Workers Program? Yeah, for sure. So um, the SWAP, the SAWP, is it's a federal program. So it's federal government of Canada um, run, but it, it operates in Ontario. So in Ontario, um, 41.6% of agricultural workers are actually migrant workers. So a lot of people don't don't know that necessarily or think about that. But that is almost, you know, 10%-ish away from being half of our agricultural Mm -hmm. workers in this province. And in some other provinces, it's just as high. Um, So we rely so tremendously on these migrant workers who, um, as... I studied 
the grand scheme of things isn't a beautiful picture for them. Some of them have very hard access to, you know, health and safety stuff and um, poor conditions. But in Ontario, 41.6% in the agricultural sector are migrant workers. The SWAP program is federal um, and the SWAP is specifically agriculture. So there's another program called the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, TFWP. Um, that is separate. Um, the SWAP is specifically agriculture. Um, but in Ontario, a huge percent. And the SWAP also operates in, I think, I know at least nine other provinces to mm -hmm. give you an idea. So this program is huge. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll get into it a bit later, but I think it has um, 550,000 um, migrant workers every year that come to Canada. And that's a stat from, I think, about 2017, 2018. So these numbers are probably higher now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. You've answered something else I was going to ask you. I, I wondered if there were similar programs in other provinces. But again, for our international audience, my understanding is that the, the temporary workers in the agricultural sector can only come in for one season or is it is it limited in terms of months and then they have to go home and they can apply to come back the next year is that correct so good question um they can come back year to year but they can only be here for a certain set number of months mm -hmm. now with covid at the beginning of covid which i know sounds crazy to say now but that was a while ago um that has changed and at first they changed the amount of months that they were allowed to be here but in general I think, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think they generally come um, in about, uh, they'll be here for about nine months, I think, mm -hmm. total of the year. And that can vary based on, you know, what the farmer needs and what, what is demanded and what kind of crops they're harvesting. Um, but in general, they're here for a good chunk of the year, and then they can apply to re, like, come back the following year. A lot of them do. Yeah. Right. And just to follow up on that, they, they can only do farm work. They can't um, build a house for the farmer, for instance, can they? That They have to be involved in agri proper agricultural work. That's my understanding. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, you know, where the rubber meets the road um, of what exactly happens. But yes, they are. Their contract is to be um, farm workers sure. to work on the farm doing agricultural things. Yes. So where do these migrant workers typically come from? That's a good question. Um, so a, um, a large majority come from Jamaica and a large majority come from Mexico. Um, and I forget. Uh, oh, since 1974, the swap has been letting migrant workers from Mexico come. And from 1966, they've been letting migrant workers come from the Caribbean. So um, a lot of Caribbean uh, people in general and a lot of also Mexicans. Um, those are kind of the two main ones, but mm -hmm. also I would kind of extend that and say like English speaking um, Southern, you know, countries, um, specifically in the Caribbean as well, like other than Jamaica, there's a lot. Yeah. And what types of agriculture do they work in? So basically any type of produce um, that we're used to, um, field produce and greenhouses kind of as your two umbrella categories. Mm -hmm. So that would include basically everything that we eat um, on a normal uh, daily basis. And I said field, but also like orchards. So a large majority work in orchards, um, you know, apples, everything like melons, apples, potatoes, um, pr pretty much anything that 
can't be done or has a physical element to it. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas like when we think of corn, for an example, generally we think of machines that are working. Um, these, these folks generally work in, on, the, on the foods that are more labor intensive, like, like asparagus or um, certain other things. And sweet sweet corn, I mean, yeah. sweet corn. Although it's corn, it's uh, very difficult to harvest that mechanically, right? So exactly, yeah. The whole and you thing. have corn huskers, and that's a very physical job. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Max, tell our audience about some of the conditions you found for migrant workers, the the good and the bad. Explain a, a bit about what a migrant worker can expect at the top end of the spectrum, and maybe at the not so good end of the spectrum. What did you find? Um, so I found quite a bit, um, I studied it for quite a while. I'll just kind of hit a few of the main points from my, my thesis in answering that question. So if I, if I would explain it and break my thesis into three parts, the first would be what barriers to health and safety are faced by migrant workers. The second would be how are my, migrant workers, um, ex, um, how is their experience shaped by racialization and gender? And the third would be what are the rights and resources available to both the employers and the employees? So I looked at both sides of that aspect, mm -hmm. but their conditions in general are um, categorized as being very precarious and they're categorized as having very poor access to health and safety. Mm -hmm. um, this is for a ton of reasons, but specifically I looked at the OHS, the occupational health and safety behind migrant workers. And I looked at their, health and safety information, training, and services, those three categories to see what kind of access do they have to the information, how much training are they getting, and what are the services that they can get? Because as we know, um, they might not have regular access to vehicles, right? Um, it's not their home country, for an example, but basically the conditions are, um, there's, a, there's a large power dynamic in general between the farmer themselves and the migrant workers. Um, repatriation is a big issue. So being, um, you know, having, uh, being reprimanded for like asking like, can I do this? Can I do that? Or like looking for time off or looking for, you know, if they, if they get sick, a lot of them continue to work because they're afraid of being reprimanded. Um, so the conditions are marked as precarious. Um, and and harsh in some conditions. Can I can I throw in a quick question there? Would you say those conditions in those respects, health and safety, education, time off, are a lot worse for migrant workers than they would be for a Canadian person doing the same job on the same farm? Oh yes. So that is a very good question. Um, sorry, I should have maybe been more clear. It is it is much much more harsh, much more precarious. It is okay. yes. Um, and that is where, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things from the whole system in general, that's where racialization comes into play. Um, and that's where these unfair power dynamics also come into play. And those power dynamics are further than just the farmer and the migrant workers. They're actually mm -hmm. power dynamics from the countries. So the Canadian government and the government of Mexico and the Canadian government can sometimes act almost like a bully. And mm -hmm. it can it can get what it wants out of these um, out of other countries who are relying on their people leaving for that work. Um, a large majority of money that comes back into like let's say Mexico from these um, f 
from migrant workers who work in Canada, it that money supports a lot of people. Um, sure. And sure. a lot of people are reliant on that money. And so is the economy back home for these people, that it gets the economy moving. Yeah. Sorry, just to put that in, sorry, Kathleen, put it in perspective, you're talking on the upside of half a million workers, even at minimum wage, and even if they only do six months a year in Canada, that's a huge part of the economies of some of those countries, right? Tremendous, tremendous part of that. And the majority of the money that uh, migrant workers make doesn't stay with them, doesn't get wasted, it gets sent back to their families. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Mac, as part of this program, are there certain standards that the farmers um, have to meet in order to welcome these migrant workers in terms of, you know, uh, certain expectations or accommodations? Um, Is there any standards? Yeah, there is standards. Um, There's tons of standards. And a big issue here um, lies within the enforcement of these standards, because there are written standards and there are things that people have to meet. And I'll say, I'll say this again, because I, I strongly believe this. There is farmers who meet these expectations, they exceed these expectations, but unfortunately there are also those who do not. Um, so we can't paint with a broad stroke and say it's all bad. We can't paint with a broad stroke and say it's all good. Um, mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. So there is standards. And another thing there is that there's standards that these workers fall outside of the scope of. So there's the Employment Protection um, for Foreign Nationals Act, the EPFNA um, from 2009. And unfortunately, migrant workers, they fall outside of the scope of this in the swap, the SAWP, because they're agricultural workers. So mm-hmm. there's certain little clauses where um, they fall outside of the scope of these things. Um, so although migrant workers in agriculture are covered by um, like, oh, like Occupational Health and Safety Act in Canada, the enforcement is poor. And then there's all these other conditions such as repatriation that um, kind of deter them from using their rights or using the things that they have available to them. Hmm. So what, what suggestions do you have for improving the conditions? Okay, so this was this was one of the um, concluding parts of my of my work. Um, the first thing is that we need to enable the workers to access their labor rights, a collective voice, and provide them with um, greater labor and OHS protections. Um, this is because, like I mentioned, they fall outside of the scope of certain protections, and the enforcement of others are are very weak. Um, there's no there's no teeth. There's no way of giving these people kind of what they need and especially due to their fear. So they're afraid of being deported in some situations and they're afraid of being sent back home. And another thing they're afraid of is actually not being, it's called the renamed. So migrant workers after working a season, the, um, they, can, they can ask to be put on a list to come back the following year, which a lot of migrant workers do. Mm-hmm. Um, many migrant workers work in Canada for 20, 30 years. In some cases, 35, 40 years. So they've been, yeah, they've been in Canada working for a very long time mm-hmm. on a year-to-year contract basis. Um, but the deal with that is that the farmer has to put their name on a list. They have to be, um, they have to be named on this list in order to come back. And so a lot of these workers are afraid 
that if they do something or if they say, hey, I'm sick, I can't work today, or oh, I need to go to the hospital or certain things, if they say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this work, with these chemicals or whatever it might be, they're afraid they won't be renamed. Um, so that is a large issue as well. So to help that, we need to help give them a collective voice. They need to be able to access their labor rights more and more meaningfully. And that also goes for linguistic barriers. All of this has to do with linguistic barriers. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should have mentioned that. Um, sorry, because a lot of them, a lot of these migrant workers may have um, limited English, for example, and they might be working places where um, the, you know, they might be on a farm where the farmer or the people at the farm may have very limited, like Spanish or um, whatever language they might be speaking, right? Um, the other thing is that the existing legal apparatus for migrant workers is not well grounded. That's the first thing. And the second thing, it's not well enforced. So my two suggestions on top of those others are that we need to change those things. Um, and of course, we need to target the barriers um, that keep migrant workers from their health and safety um, and keep them in a precarious situation. And to do so, um, it's suggested that we use a multi-layered dense arrangement and we need state intervention. So we need the government of Canada to do more as well, as well as potentially the government of those other countries, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So from your, from your studies, would you say, if you look back over 10, 15, 20, 30 years, the situation for the migrant workers is improving? Is it going backwards? Is it staying much the same? Because I, I think numbers have gone up over that period, right? Yeah, very, very good point, Peter. Um, so since the year 2000, the number of migrant workers coming to Canada has tripled. I tripled so, since 2000. Wow. Tripled, which is tremendous. Like yeah. it's gone through the roof. Um, and as Canadians, if you're Canadian watching this, um, you might ask yourself right now, how many people do I know who work on a farm? Um, if you're from a city, especially, you might go, ah, uh, not really. Like my grandpa used yeah. to have a farm or, but like our Canadian workforce has moved away from working in agriculture. So we have this huge pocket where we have to feed this population. Um, we have large cities and we need, we need people to work there, but um, in general, it's being filled by migrant workers because they're seen as flexible labor, um, which is um, a, a term that just means that they, they don't require, like we can get away with giving them non-full-time, we can get away with giving them no pension or no you know, um, sick pay, stuff like that, right? Um, less than the average person would be willing to accept. Um, and the other thing is that they're considered to be very inexpensive labor source mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because a lot of Canadians might say, oh, I don't want to work in agriculture because I, you know, the pay is low and the hours are long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ah, I thought of something I was going to say there. It's gone out of my mind. Never mind. Um, that, that's a lot of people and it's tripled in the last few years. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, in the last, you know, 22 years, it's tripled. Um, I hope I answered your question there. Sorry. You, you did. Um, having lived in Africa, as you know, most of my life and seen the conditions that many people in Africa have to survive under because there's no employment of any sort, whether it's flexible, permanent, sure. or whatever. Um, many of those people would 
think they'd gone to heaven if they could come and work here as migrant laborers, right? Under the worst conditions that we have. I'm not defending that, but I, I'm just saying. So my point is that it's not perfect. I agree it could be improved. But I also believe that even with all the warts of the system, Canada is doing a lot better than some other countries about uh, employing migrant labor and helping send money back to those countries, which will help those countries. Um, yeah. uh, what I was going to say to you, it's the, yes, sorry, the fact that people are moving off the farms is not just a Canadian problem, it's a first world problem. It's, it's almost the same problem all over the world. And the, right? So it's not unique to us. And, and I think there's all sorts of reasons which are beyond the scope of our talk now as to why that has happened. I think it's tragic that that has happened, but that's a different subject. Um, so I'm trying to make the point that it's not all bad, that yes, it can be improved. But I think it's a scheme that benefits Canadians hugely and yeah. benefits Mexican, Jamaican and certain other nationalities and their economies well at the same time. And nothing in life is ever perfect. We, we do the sort of best we can with what we've got. So yeah. let's improve it by all means, but let's not condemn it out of hand, which is not what you're doing. I'm not saying that. That's so yeah. quick, quick one to add on. Um, when we read about the horror stories, stories of the American um, migratory or, or temporary labor story uh, situation, we think we're pretty good uh, compared to them. One of the reasons for that is geography, right? People can't just flock across the border to come and work here. It's too far from, say, Mexico, um, and it's too cold to, to take a chance in winter. So we have a better, a better facilities to control it properly than, say, the Americans in the southern states. Is, is right. that a correct assumption? Um, yeah, I, I believe so. Um, I, I might ask you to repeat that again after I just make this quick point. Um, sure. You're absolutely right. So the conditions are harsh and they're not ideal. And yes, these people get taken advantage of. Um, at the same time, you're absolutely right. There is positives. And thanks for mentioning that. Like um, when I started working um, at the farm that I mentioned as a, as a kid, um, the migrant worker wage was different than minimum wage, which today is no longer the case. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very thankful to be able to say that, that when you see migrant workers, they're making Canadian minimum wage, which is a yeah. small victory, right? Um, sure, but, yeah. sure. And I'm going to add to that. Sorry, Kathleen, I've got to throw this in for our audience <laughs> that I also worked on that same farm when I first came to Canada and I saw time that I was there, a few years I was there, I saw its conditions improve. What I'd yeah. say to our audience is, unlike many other industries, the farmers, and I think this is the majority rather than the exception, that farmer laid on a bus or, or a series of minivans on a Saturday generally to take all those migrant workers to do their shopping every week. They had washing machines, dryers, stoves uh, in their bunkhouses. Many of them lived in converted farmhouses under some of the better houses than I live in. Yeah. So he, he was particularly good. Um, they were taken to hospital if they needed it. They were taken by hired bus to the airport when they finished their contract, picked up from the airport by hired bus when they came back, all paid for. So he was exceptionally good. Uh, but there's a lot of others that in that same sort of category. Um, so I just wanted to make that point that, that some of the farmers try really hard. Yeah. I agree, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're running low on time, Matt. Can you we tell are. our audience how um, people can get a hold of you? Sure. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure that this may be shared on LinkedIn. Um, oh, yes. Sounds good. <laughs> um, my name on there is Mackenzie Miller. M-I-L-L-A-R um, -L -L is my last name. You can also contact me through email. 
Um, my email is millarm, M-I-L-L-A-R-M, at uwindsor, you know, like u and then okay. windsor.ca. Dot see that. We will we will do that. I got it. We got one minute. I'm going to throw another one in. What's next for you, Mac? Oh, what's next for me? Um, I'd like to do some more publications. Um, I'm looking forward to. I, I really want to be a teacher, and I I like teaching at different levels. I want to teach mm -hmm. in public school, and I also want to teach at the university or college level. So I currently TA as well, and I TA in labor in work. Um, and yeah, that's, this is what I enjoy doing. And hopefully in the future, I can teach and continue doing things like this. So thank you very much for having me on here. It's been oh, a it pleasure. Thank been you. It's been so an absolute much. pleasure. Thank you. Thank and, you for and that. And for those of you who don't things. know what TA means, it's teaching assistant. <laughs> thank you. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But thank you. Well so done. Much. Yes, well done. Um, thank you all again for tuning into our show. And um, until next time, take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.